0: Well, good morning, church. It's great to have you here for worship. Today we celebrate and remember that day when the wise men from the East, the Magi, those Gentile travelers came looking for the child who had been born King of the Jews. Throughout Advent and Christmas, we've been building this creche, this nativity scene on the altar. And week by week, the children have been bringing forward uh, the different pieces of the creche and placing them there. And on Christmas Eve, with, uh, when we first sang, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, uh, that was when the baby Jesus was carefully placed in the manger. And now today, because the creche was not yet complete, we've put these, these two uh, camels, and then soon we'll be putting the three wise men and the star that pointed the way. Now, since, last, since this is the last Sunday of the Christmas season, this is the last Sunday that we're going to have the Advent wreath with the Christ candle lit, the last Sunday that we're going to have the creche on the altar. And so we're going to begin again next year, on the first Sunday of Advent, next year when we begin to tell again The great story, but today we remember the the visit of the Magi, the wise men who came on that great journey in search of the Christ child. And that's uh, pretty much all we know about those guys. Actually, is that they were from the east, uh, that they were scholars, perhaps kings, but we don't really know who they were. Sometimes we give them the name uh, uh, Melchior and Casper and Balthazar, but those are just names that we've given them, and we really don't know how many wise men there were. We assume that there were three. Matthew doesn't tell us how many, but we assume that there were three because they brought three gifts. Uh, But uh, some of the churches in the East, they say that there were 12 wise men that came on this journey. So we don't know. Uh, We really don't know much about them. We don't know their names, where they were from, or how long they journeyed, or how many there were. But we do know this. We know that they were seeking Jesus. In fact, if they hadn't been seeking Jesus, we would never have heard of them at all. They were wealthy, they were wise, but the only reason any of us have ever heard of these men is because they were seeking Jesus. And as I thought about that this week, it made me think about all the kinds of things that we are searching for in this life. What motivates us? What are we trying to find? Do we know where we're going? What are we looking for? Are we, are we just floating through life, living life but with no goal in mind? I saw on the news just after Christmas that the stores were flooded again with people returning and exchanging their gifts. Uh, the local news interviewed some of the people, and one of the guys said this. He said, you know, I don't know what I'm looking for. I'm just here for a great deal. As long as it's a great deal, that's what I'm looking for. Apparently, it didn't matter at all what it was. If it was on sale, it was a great deal. He was buying it, that was what he was going for. When I was working with college students back in Tallahassee, I had conversations with them all the time and they, where they would be asking me and telling me, you know what, I just don't know what to do with my life. I can't figure it out. The possibilities were too much for them. They, and it paralyzed them. What, what if I don't make the right decision about a career? I've got to find the perfect thing for me. I don't know how to choose it. Of course, there were endless conversations with them about, uh, and it was fretful conversations about, how do I find the right boyfriend? How do I know when I found the right girl? They were searching for the perfect match, the perfect the career, the perfect town, the perfect boyfriend or girlfriend. That's what they were thought about. That's what they need, they needed. And they thought about it. And they were seeking it obsessively. And I'm one of those people who over-researches things when I am set out to buy something. I read all the reviews, all of them, all of them. Uh, I, I, I get consumer reports, and I, and I read consumer reports, and, and I ask people who know about that kind of thing. Whenever I'm buying a car, I just don't want to buy a car. I want to buy the best possible car that I can afford at the time. And I'm not just looking for a home. I'm looking for the best home, the best deal, and the best house, in the right neighborhood with a place for my kids to play. Preferably, I've learned this, uh, learned this uh, with, from a bad experience in Tallahassee, preferably with a roof with a lot of life left on it. I mean, I tell you, I had to replace that roof on year two, and it cost me too much money. We bought a small used boat last year uh, so that we could take it out on Lake Powell. We live near the lake, you know, and, and I thought it'd be fun to take my kids out. The only reason we bought it last year is because I couldn't find it for the previous 18 months that I was looking. Because I was looking for the particular one. It had to have the right amount of seats. And the, it had to fit in our garage, which means it had to be small. It had to have a tilt and trim motor because I didn't want to have to lift it up. And uh, it had to be in the price that we could afford. And it's not just big things like cars and homes and boats. I'm very particular about the kind of pen I like to write with. Who else is particular about the kind of pen you write with, right? I mean, I don't want to just use any old pen. I want to use the best pen I can get. And that's the thing about this Sunday. Last Sunday, we talked about uh, our commitment to live for and with God in the coming year. That was that Sunday. But this Sunday, it's all about the question, what are we searching for in this life? Like, what is it? If you were to sit down and look at, your, look at what you spent your money on last year, what, if you looked at how you spent your time and your money and your energy, what are you searching for in life? Do you know what you're looking for? See, the wise men, we know almost nothing about them, but we do know this. They knew exactly what they were looking for. They were searching for the one who had been born the king of the Jews. They were searching for the one who had been born the savior of the world. That's who they were looking for. And so they set out on a journey to find him. And something else we we know about them is this. They didn't stop until they did. They didn't stop until they had found the one they were searching for. And then when they found him, they worshipped him. But, and here's the thing, here's the key, I think, is that they knew what they were searching for. And that's what makes them different than most of us. They knew what they were searching for in this life. But many of us, perhaps most of us, we really don't. I love watching football with my kids. Now, this last week was a tragedy for me. If y'all are Ohio State fans, bless you. Or Oregon fans, bless you, good good luck, but uh, I'm an Alabama fan, and my team went down in a loss that was just heartbreaking, and I have to wait till next year, but I do love watching football with my kids, Uh, and other than football, we never watch live TV, we never do, we always watch something that we've either previously recorded, or we watch it on Netflix, and and I remember when we first noticed that my kids had grown up in a different world than we had, because um, they... This is, well, let me just tell you how, how, they, how they did it. Um, it. was We were watching a football game and one of my kids looked at me uh, in the middle of one of the breaks and they were like, Daddy, what are those little shows that they keep showing in the middle of the ball game? What are those little shows? You know, like a minute long. What are those little shows? And for the life of me, I couldn't figure out what my kids were talking about because I'm used to it. I grew up where that's just the way TV was. You were constantly interrupted with a, a message from our sponsors, right? And it was commercials. They'd never seen commercials before. And, because, and they'd only seen stuff on Netflix. It was streaming, it was just a, immediately there. or we just fast forwarded through them. And so they would get so mad. Every time, one of those little shows would come on. <laughs> They're stupid, what are they talking about? They're just dumb, I don't even like them. Why would they show them? We were, on a, we were on a trip, just this last, uh, we, on our very last trip we took, we were staying in this hotel, and um, I think it was raining outside, we didn't have anything else to do, and so we turned on the Food Network, because we love watching the Barefoot Contessa and the Pioneer Woman cook, because they just make us hungry, and they cook good food, and, uh, and our kids like it, but they kept showing those little shows all the time, right in the middle, and our kids were getting so mad, and we had to explain to them that companies that make cars and KitchenAids and medicine and insurance. They make those little shows and they call them commercials, they're advertisements to make us feel like we need what they're selling. That's why they keep showing us those little shows, kids. That's how they make money, by creating in us a desire or a perceived need that can only be satisfied by buying their stuff. And our kids were appalled when they heard about this. How could we not know what we need, they said. Don't we already know what we need? And if you think about it, it is kind of crazy. They're like, we know what we need. Why would we need them to tell us? Anyway, one of the most profound insights about all of this comes from Steve Jobs. You've heard of him. He was was one of the founders of Apple. He died recently, but because Apple wasn't making enough money after he founded it, uh, they kicked him out, and they said, you can go do something else. We want to bring in the CEO of Pepsi or something to run this computer company. But then years later, when Apple was making even less money, Then when they kicked him out, they brought him back as a CEO. And he took that failing company and made it into one of the top three companies in the world. And I remember thinking I should buy stock when they hired him, but I didn't. Um, I don't know what I was thinking. But anyway, maybe I didn't need it. I don't know. But um, anyway, one of the craziest things about Steve Jobs is this. He refused ever to have focus groups. Did you know that he refused to have focus groups? Most most companies when they're designing a product or, or bringing a product to market, they'll bring in people a focus group to say, "What do you think about this? You know, we're thinking about making billions of these and we'd like to know if you'll buy them once we do." And and, and that's what they would do. They they make sure people they were giving people what they wanted in a product. It makes total sense. What if we make a product that nobody wants? or if we make a product that nobody buys. So that's what the focus groups are for. But Steve Jobs refused to have focus groups. And this is what he said. He was being interviewed by Business Week, and he said this. Why would we have focus groups? The people don't know what they want until we show them. Isn't that amazing? Why would we have focus groups? The people don't know what they want until we show them. And he was right. Does anybody own an iPhone or an iPad? <laughs> You didn't buy it cuz you didn't want it, did you? We didn't know we wanted iPads until he showed us one, and then we wanted it. We didn't know we wanted iPhones until he showed us an iPhone, and then we wanted one. So much so, actually, that some of us, not me, I don't, but some of us go camp out in front of an Apple store for a week in order to be the first one in the store to buy it. You've seen people on TV when they've showed this on the news, and they want, to have the, they want to be the first ones to have their hands on Apple's next thing. Why would we have focus groups, he said, "The people don't know what they want until we show them? And that seems profoundly true to me. Most of us have no idea what we want. Most of us go through our lives having no idea what we really want, no idea what's really important. We don't know. And so we spend our lives chasing after all sorts of things, Letting, letting those little shows that they show on TV convince us that we need what they're selling. Letting those convert commercials convince us that they can give us what we've been looking for. And the thing is, if we listen to all the advertisements and let the world tell us what's important, letting the world tell us what we should seek, then we will spend our lives chasing everything and wanting everything, but we'll end up with nothing. We'll accumulate stuff, there's no doubt about that but we will not have found the one thing truly worth having, and that's Jesus. And that's something I really, and and this is something I really don't have time to go into today, but I'm I'm gonna, let me just say this. That underneath all of your longing, under all the nagging sense that you have that there must be more in life, and in that heartache that surprises you in those moments of, of joy and the wonder that fills you as you're standing next to the ocean, and in the blaze of a beautiful, glorious sunset that just takes your breath away, you know, you know those moments that I'm talking about. Underneath all of that, behind all of that, is Jesus. That's what the ache in your heart is really all about. That's why you cry tears of joy at the birth of a child, because all of the longing and the wonder and the beauty and the joy reminds you of him. C.S. Lewis talks about this in his sermon, The Weight of Glory. And Lewis says that the memories and the sunsets and the moments of wonder, those things in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust them, he says. Because it was not in them, it only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty and the longing and the memory of our own past are good images of what we really desire. But if, we, but if they are mistaken for the thing itself, They turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. I love that. I love C.S. Lewis. But the sunsets and the longings, the moments of beauty and joy in your life, they are not really what we're looking for. They are just reminding us that there is more. They are just there to remind us of God and to point us and beckon us home to him. The wise men were scholars, students of life. They were wise. And in their culture, they they, they were taught to look to the stars for the truth, that truth and hope could be found written by God in the stars. And isn't it amazing that the ones who looked to the stars, who thought that truth and joy were to be found in the stars, were told by the stars to look to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Don't look to us, they said. We're not what you're looking for. and let Instead, look for Jesus. We're just here to point you to him. And if you are going to look to us, then at least let us take you to him. And those wise men were wise enough to listen and learn from the stars, to seek the one who had made the stars. Church, as we begin this new year, what are you looking for in this life? Most of the time, we don't even know what we're looking for. What are you looking for? Are you looking for Jesus, for the hope and the peace and the joy found in him? everything you long for, all the beauty in this world, all the moments of joy, all the things that take your breath away, and even the stars, they all point to him. They are all there to remind you of him who made it all. So may you seek him this year, and may you find him, and may you worship him in Jesus' name.